OTAs are right around the corner. Which players are trending up and which ones are trending down heading into the final phase of the offseason program? I'll be breaking it down on the latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Blue Friday to all of our listeners. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got OTAs coming up starting on Monday, the 23rd, 10 practices, and there's going to be a mini camp sandwich in the middle of that. So plenty of Seahawks content coming up. I'm going to be previewing that to an extent today with a stock watch segment looking at which three players are trending up heading into OTAs and which three players, their status isn't exactly looking so hot after the draft and heading into this final phase of the offseason program. Plus, I'll be tackling your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. Now, for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks, Baker Mayfield watch continues as we get closer to the month of June, and the latest reports have indicated the Seahawks weren't necessarily interested, but... There was some new intel today coming from Jeff Howe of The Athletic, a very credible reporter who's broken a number of stories in NFL-related news that the Seahawks and Panthers are still interested in Mayfield. There's one big holdup that's putting this entire situation into a holding pattern, according to the words of Howe. And again, it is that nearly $19 million fully guaranteed salary for the 2022 season. That has been a huge sticking point. How much money the Browns are going to pay and how much the acquiring team is going to have to absorb on their salary cap. And obviously with the little leverage the Cleveland Browns have at this point, they have Deshaun Watts on the roster, but who knows how many games he could be able to play this year. His status for the upcoming season remains unknown. There's likely a suspension. Who knows how long that suspension is going to be, but the Browns are kind of in a rough spot where They have Jacoby Brissett, who they signed in free agency. He has started some games in the NFL, so maybe they're comfortable moving forward with him, but maybe they might want to explore seeing if they can mend fences a little bit with Baker Mayfield. I don't know if that's possible. Regardless, the Browns, they've got two potential suitors in the Seahawks and the Panthers who still appear to have some interest. And this doesn't necessarily change what I have heard over the last couple weeks. And I've been saying this on the show going back to the end of March, really that Seattle would be more than happy to bring in Baker Mayfield if he is released and they're able to sign him for a veteran minimum contract. They don't have to give up any draft capital to make it happen. The Seahawks would be more than happy to bring him in at that point. I don't think they feel like he moves the needle enough, though, especially given the fact the Browns have such few suitors to begin with. They'd be bidding against themselves and Carolina. And Carolina did draft Matt Corral in the third round out of Mississippi. So, That's one big difference between these two teams. The Seahawks did not draft a quarterback, obviously, and the only additions they made to that room, they acquired Drew Locke as part of the Russell Wilson trade. They re-signed Geno Smith. They've got Jacob Eason coming back. I mean, for the most part, this is the same quarterback room that was behind Russell Wilson last season, with the exception being Locke. The Panthers did add Matt Corral. They've still got Sam Darnold as well, not likely to be their long-term guy, proof that last year has struggled in the NFL. But both those teams have pretty 
nasty quarterback situations compared to a lot of the rest of the league. So obviously they are going to be the two teams that continue to be cropping up in the Baker Mayfield. I guess you could use the word sweepstakes, but it's hard to call it that when teams aren't rushing to make a deal. And obviously the salary is the biggest issue. If the Cleveland Browns would come to the table and say, okay, Seattle, we're willing to make a deal here. We're going to pay all but $4 million of this salary, and we will take on a seventh-round pick from you. And it could even be a 2023 seventh-round pick. We just want some type of compensation. That might be able to get the ball rolling a little bit. But even then, it feels like John Schneider is like, we're just going to wait for you to cut the quarterback because you know maybe Cleveland thinks they can go into the start of the season with him still on the roster, but that's a huge distraction and this is a guy that's got a major chip on his shoulder. He's had that since he was a walk-on originally at Texas Tech, then went to Oklahoma. He's always felt like he was overlooked. And so that kind of a guy, there can be positives to that mentality. But when you're talking about a player that's been a starter the last several years, and now he's not going to be a starter, and he feels like you lied to him, then went out and got to Sean Watson, there are a lot of issues there that could end up being major distractions, just simply having him there. So it seems unlikely that the Browns are going to do that, but uh, they're not right now willing to make a deal with either the Panthers or Seahawks where they're eating most of this money. And I think the reality is they have no leverage. So that's why this story is not going away. Baker Mayfield wants to play somewhere else. He wants an opportunity to play. Maybe it ends up being Seattle. I'm not going to sit here and say that it won't be because if he is released, I think John Schneider will pounce but they are not going to go out and make that move given the state of the team right now. They don't feel like they're just a quarterback away from being a contender. You've got a really good quarterback class coming in next year. They don't want to give up any draft assets and then have to pay a significant amount of money for a player who has been a quality starter, but hasn't been a top 10, top 15 guy either. Two years ago, 28 touchdowns, eight interceptions. And Cleveland ended up going 11-5 and won a playoff game. So he's a solid starting quarterback when he's healthy, just not an elite one. They're not going to give the Browns something that nobody else is willing to just to facilitate a trade. So there's no urgency. You add in the fact he's coming off shoulder surgery, he's not 100% right now. That's just going to further delay something happening here. So ultimately, we'll see what ends up happening. I think if the Cleveland Browns, they are eventually going to have to reach a point where something's going to have to happen here. I don't see Mayfield being willing to kiss and make up so that he can start for the first six games, the first eight games, while Deshaun Watson is suspended. I can't see him having, you know, his pride is not going to let him do that. That is not going to be something that happens. So I'd be very surprised if that's the route that those two sides decide to go on. It might ironically be their best fit at this point if the Seahawks and Panthers are lukewarm but I think if he becomes available as a free agent or the Browns basically are willing to trade and eat most of that salary just to get rid of the potential headache the Seahawks and the Panthers could still both be in there and I would think Seattle based on their quarterback situation would be the more interested of the two uh, but Time will tell. At this point, there's no urgency to get a deal done. I'm not anticipating anything's going to happen on this front for several weeks. This could be something that we don't see movement until right before training camp on. And then Mayfield may be joining a new team that late in the process. It's going to be tough for him to catch up. At that point, it truly would be a three-way competition in Seattle. They're not going to just be handing him the starting job. And so there's a lot of moving parts here. But this is a story that's going to continue to be out there until Baker Mayfield lands somewhere else or somehow magically he and the Browns are able to 
mend fences a little bit. Again, I just can't see that happening given the circumstances and the way that this has played out. And the person we're talking about, you're getting a very prideful individual in Baker Mayfield. I just can't see him swallowing his pride and being willing to go back into the huddle for the Browns and start a number of games and then get replaced by Watson whenever he can come back. I just can't see him being willing to do that. So that keeps the Seahawks and the Panthers in the hunt here, potentially in the periphery. They are monitoring the situation and we'll see what happens. There's still a chance Baker Mayfield could be the Seahawks starter in week one. He could be starting for the Carolina Panthers as well. He gets a release. Maybe a surprise team will jump in there too. But right now there just aren't a lot of options for him. Consequently, not a lot of options for the Cleveland Browns to try to make this deal happen. Coming up next, I'm going to be tackling your questions, our Blue Friday mailbag segment. As always, looking forward to the opportunity to answer as many questions as I can. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, from live betting to the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's time for our weekly mailbag segment. Didn't get to do this last week. We ended up dedicating a bonus episode to answer your questions. A number of questions coming in on Twitter today. So let's get to it. First one coming from Matt. And this is really real-time breaking news. Can you explain why the Seahawks gave up on Levi Lewis so quickly? So before I answer this question, literally 15 minutes before coming on live and recording today's show, the Seahawks announced that they had cut rookie quarterback Levi Lewis, who participated in their rookie minicamp. And this was not a tryout quarterback. They had signed him to a contract as a priority free agent shortly after the conclusion of the seventh round. This was one of the first moves they made. John Schneider hinted at it, talking to reporters in the post-draft press conference that day. And so there seemed to be some buzz about this kid. He put up some pretty good numbers at Louisiana, more than 70 passing touchdowns, over 1,000 rushing yards in his career. And Louisiana went 13-1 and last year. So this kid helped that program reach heights they'd never been at before. And so he came into the league as an undirected rookie with a little bit of buzz, especially with Seattle's quarterback situation. I'm somewhat surprised by this because at the rookie minicamp, they also had Caleb Elby from Western Michigan and – I'm not going to lie to you and say that both of them or either one of them looked like a guy that could maybe play on Sundays because three days in a rookie minicamp, you can't make that evaluation anyway. And there are concerns for both guys, particularly for Lewis, the fact that he truly is five, eight and a half. I mean, you could tell that on the field, how small of a quarterback that he is it made Kyler Murray look like a giant. And that is a huge problem. And obviously Russell Wilson at five, 10 and a half was able to make things work, but that's, a full two inches that we're talking about shorter. That's a problem. This kid had a very compact, quick release, had very good arm strength. I thought he was the better quarterback of the two that were at the rookie minicamp. He more consistently made accurate throws, was able to get the ball downfield, had some touch. You could see the mobility that he brings to the table, even in a minicamp that functioned a lot like a walkthrough. You could see those athletic traits, but that lack of height that I, I think that's the big problem here. I don't think the Seahawks viewed him as a guy that even as a practice squad project was going to be able to make it because there has to be a limit at some point as a quarterback, five, eight and a half. 
that's just too short. Even with some of the physical talents that he has, it's unfortunate. I think if he was a couple inches taller, he probably would have been drafted. And we're looking at this a little bit differently, but uh, there were some clear obstacles in front of him and the height was clearly a big one. So I'm surprised by it, but at the same time, the Seahawks are clearly comfortable with the three other quarterbacks that have in their roster. They didn't see enough from him to suggest that he would be able to compete or at least be a practice squad player. So barring him quickly being re-signed, we've seen that with a few teams recently. That could certainly happen, but that's rare. At this point, I would think either he latches on quickly, gets a chance to somebody else, or that was his NFL career. And unfortunately, that's the reality for a lot of these guys that are undrafted players. Seahawks stand. Do you think the Seahawks will finish in the top half or even the top 10 defenses this year following the additions of Mafe, Nwosu, and Bryant and re-signing Quandre Diggs? I think the Seahawks have the personnel if the pass rush comes together and if whatever changes they make with their coverages come together. Sean Desai and Carl Scott are going to be a big part of that. The talent is there for this defense to be a top 10 unit. We saw glimpses of it the last couple of years. They just, they, they kept consistently starting slow out of the gate. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing for Clint Hurt, Sean Desai and company. Let's find a way that we can avoid that early season slump that has plagued us defensively the last couple of years. Let's get out of the gate a little bit faster. And they're hoping by being a bit more aggressive, having more three, four looks that they're going to be able to do that. Maybe some more man coverage on the outside. The talent is there. You got to wonder about some of the durability things. Jamal Adams, the injuries he's had. Quandre Diggs coming back from that leg surgery. They've got some linebackers coming back from ACL injuries. I mean, there are some injury concerns sprinkled in there that you have to consider. But talent-wise, the defense has pieces. Even without Bobby Wagner, you've got some fun pass rushers. I think Mafe can be a far better NFL player than a college player. This is a great system for him being an overhang hybrid linebacker. Daryl Taylor could be on the verge of a breakout this year. Nuosu had a really nice season for the Chargers, still only 25 years old. So there's pieces. They've got good guys in the secondary, a really good pair of safeties. You've got some very intriguing athletic pass rushers that personnel-wise are a better fit for what Clint Hurt wants to do. Your defensive tackle group was really good last year. You're bringing back that entire group this year. They think Cody Barton can be solid alongside Jordan Brooks, who his next step would be making the Pro Bowl or being an All-Pro selection, got an All-Pro vote last year. So the pieces are in place, but I'm not going to sit here and predict they're a top-10 defense because you've still got a new coordinator. You've got some new pieces at all three levels. they got to get everything to come together. If the talent plays to its potential and they get you know good schematics and they don't get off to a slow start, then this could be a top-10 defense. But we got to see what things look like in training camp before I can jump out and make a prediction, hey, this should be a top-10 group. There are enough question marks there where I'm a little bit hesitant to do that. Michael Stevenson, earlier in the week, you were pretty dismissive of the idea of Drew Brees going to the Seahawks. Then a few days later, opened it up to slim but possible reality. Did anything in particular make you change your tune? And what would a possible contract look like? So I'll answer that last part first. I would still think to get Drew Brees to come out of retirement, it's going to have to be a pretty big contract. I mean, we're talking about a future Hall of Famer after sitting out last year, that would be the other big obstacle the Seahawks would have here if they wanted to try to bring him out. Now, if he really wants to play, maybe he'd be willing to play for less. Maybe they could put a void year on next year. Again, this seems very unlikely, and that is a big reason for it. I don't think the Seahawks want to spend much money at the quarterback position, and they have $26 million in dead cap hit money on the books from Russell Wilson being traded. So 
This is 99.9% not going to happen, but we've seen craziness happen this offseason, some things that nobody expected. So you have to revisit all of these possibilities. And with the tweet that Drew Brees put out there, I think that it was worth at least exploring because Seattle is one of the few teams, as I mentioned with Baker Mayfield earlier, this is one of the few teams that absolutely needs a starting quarterback in the short term. And it might not be Drew Locke or Geno Smith. And so that possibility has to at least be explored. But as Rob and I both broke down the other day, this seems very unlikely that it would happen. I've learned not to rule anything out in this business, uh, but it seems like it is a long shot, especially given what the contract demands are probably going to be. And I would I would still think if he wants to play, it's probably going to be in New Orleans. I just don't know if the Saints would reciprocate that interest because they just re-signed Jameis Winston and the team's built differently. So there's a lot of different moving parts to that. The first thing that would have to happen is Drew Brees say, look, I am looking to come back. If that happens, then this will be a topic that we absolutely will revisit at that time. Until then, I think there's a better chance he's going to be playing on the pickleball tour than he is coming back and playing the NFL this year. DJ Rowdy, if Baker Mayfield comes to the Seahawks, do you change your prediction in wins to 10 or more? So if you saw my latest piece, and I talked about this with Rob when the schedule came out, I predicted a 7-10 and 10 record similar to the one they had last year. Same exact record. Maybe uh, get there a little bit differently. I just don't know. I think Baker Mayfield is better than Drew Locke and Geno Smith. I do. I just don't know if he moves that needle very much, though, in terms of the win or loss column. There might be a few games there where the fact that he's a slightly better quarterback ends up paying dividends and they come out on top. You know, maybe they can get to nine and eight. I think 10 wins is really pushing it though. Even if they get Baker Mayfield and the defense plays out of its mind, it's still going to be very hard for them to do that. I just don't see him being a quarterback. I can mention the first quarter. I just don't know that he moves the needle that much. So I would be hesitant to say 10 wins. If they would have gone out and gotten a more proven quarterback that has been a top 10 guy, I know a lot of fans would have thrown a fit about Deshaun Watson, but if somehow Deshaun Watson was the guy they traded for and he was their quarterback, that's a little different discussion when you're looking on paper. There's obviously a lot of other issues to deal with with that particular situation. But, you know, this to me is not much different than if they traded for Gardner Minshew. I could see Gardner Minshew being better than the quarterbacks on their roster. But how much better? I don't know that it shows up much in the win-loss column. I've seen Rich Eisen and some others say, well, Baker Mayfield could get him three or four more wins. Maybe I'm just hesitant to go that far. I just don't know that it moves the needle that much. Abishai Cunningham, do you think all the quarterbacks for Seattle will have a shot to play in the preseason, or will it just be Drew Locke or Geno Smith splitting time? I think that it's going to be mostly those two playing because they're going to be battling for a starting job. This is much different than the last several years where Russell Wilson, if he played at all in the preseason, it was just a handful of snaps in the second and third game, and then they were letting two or three guys rotate in behind him. This time you got to figure out who your starter is going to be. So unless they make that determination for the preseason, which I see no way that happens, unless Baker Mayfield comes into town and they give Baker Mayfield the job, that would be the only way that I could see it. But if it's Geno Smith versus Drew Locke, those two are going to get the bulk, if not all of the preseason snaps. Maybe Jacob Eason gets a little bit of time in the fourth quarter in those preseason games. If they add another quarterback to the mix at some point, it's going to be tough for that fourth guy to get reps. So that might be part of it for Levi Lewis too. 
the Seahawks might have talked to him and said, look, we just don't think you're going to get an opportunity here with the three guys that we've got in front of you. And maybe he's going to get another chance somewhere else. There's always stuff like that going on this time of year. But I expect it's going to be the Locke and Smith show as those two vie to replace Russell Wilson under center. Sajin, thoughts on the Seahawks potentially cutting Chris Carson? My tune on this has not changed at all since I talked about it a few weeks ago after the draft with Ken Walker the third being picked. I just get the sense that that pick by itself, that is pretty telling about where the Seahawks think Chris Carson is at. And I've said it time and time again. I hope he can play because I'm a huge Chris Carson fan. I love the way he runs the football the contributions he's made for this football team, but neck injuries are not something to mess around with. And it was just extremely telling to me that they would pick a running back in the second round after re-signing Rashad Penny. You know, maybe they end up in a situation where all three of these guys are on the roster and you're mixing and matching based on opponent and you'd have three totally different style running backs. That could work. But I just think that that pick of Ken Walker third is suggesting that the Seahawks are not confident that Carson's going to make it back. So I've said it a few times. I'm going to stick with what I said. I think that down the line here, there's going to be a roster move that is made there, maybe with a failed physical. And I'm anticipating that's what happens. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that he can play again. But that's just where things stand right now, just looking at his injury and, and what the Seahawks have done at the running back position. I I would be surprised. I'd be pleasantly surprised if he's able to play this season Guess we'll see what happens, but he will not be there for OTAs, according to Pete Carroll. Last question here from Josh. What is your projected offensive line and defensive line? So if I had to make a pick right now, I think Jake Curhan's got a good chance to start at right tackle on day one. Abraham Lucas is going to push him, but I think Lucas will start at some point this season. But I actually think Jake Curhan's got a good chance to be the guy on day one. Lucas is going to push him, though. So that one's really a toss-up. Um, that's going to be a really fun battle in training camp. And then the guard positions are pretty set in stone. Gabe Jackson, Damian Lewis are going to be your starters again. Austin Blythe is going to be your starter at center. And Charles Cross, your number nine overall pick, is going to start at left tackle. And on the defensive line, I think you're going to see Puna Ford playing some of that, you know, that three-tack or four-eye defensive tackle position. Shelby Harris playing the other one, and Al Woods in the middle. They can play Puna Ford at nose tackle as well. In those cases, you can rotate Quentin Jefferson in at one of those other defensive tackle spots, the big defensive end position, if they're truly in a three-man front. And then your overhang linebackers, defensive ends. I think the starters on day one are Daryl Taylor and Uchenna Nuosu. I would not rule out Boye Mafe finding his way into the lineup at some point, though, because of his physical tools and how well he fits in with this scheme. But he's going to get his reps anyway. He's going to get his opportunities. But I would say that Daryl Taylor and Uchenna Nuosu are your starters there. So really the only spots that are up for grabs right now to me, I, I would say right tackle is the one that's in question. And I think the Seahawks would love to see Abraham Lucas win it. But Jay Curhan did play well in five games last year. And so he's going to bring the heat in that competition in training camp. You would hope your third-round pick can win that one. Uh, but I think there's a chance the undrafted guy year two is going to start early on, and then maybe Lucas gets to start later in the season. Up next, we've got OTAs coming up on Monday. We've got 10 practice sessions over the next several weeks. They've got a mandatory minicamp sandwich in there. Rather than just previewing OTAs because they're glorified walkthroughs in a lot of different ways, 
going to do a little bit of pre-OTA stock watch, which players are trending up and which ones are trending down heading into the final phase of Seattle's offseason program. I love brownies, and the best part is the brownie batter. Most of the time, I eat the batter just while making the brownies. Now imagine if you could devour that batter while also getting a bunch of protein. You're in luck because Built has created this incredible new bar, the Brownie Batter Puff. This puff uh, takes protein bars to a whole new level, and they're available right now on Built.com. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you don't know what you're missing. Puffs are a chocolate-covered marshmallow on steroids with 140 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 7 grams of sugar. Brownie Batter Puffs are the perfect pick-me-up for any day and won't obliterate your diet like a Cam Chancellor hit stick. All Built Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means that with Built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. The Brownie Batter Puffs will have you in a completely different realm than you've ever been with a protein bar. No need to pinch yourself. This isn't a dream. Visit Built.com to get Brownie Batter Puffs now. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 at Built.com for 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got OTAs set to start on Monday, the 23rd. There will be 10 practice sessions for the Seahawks and a little different this year. Normally, they have their three-day mandatory minicamp at the tail end after OTAs. They're sandwiching it in the middle of their OTAs this year. Haven't had an explanation yet why that was done. Probably some scheduling-related stuff that just came in line this year. But the Seahawks will kick off that third and final phase on Monday. And rather than dive into some key storylines going into this OTA session, these practices are extremely difficult to evaluate. And there's some things you can look at, obviously. These practices are important, but it's not necessarily real football. There's no live contact. It's extremely difficult to get anything out of the offensive and defensive lines other than looking at their movement skills. Corners can't play the football, can't jam and press. I mean, there's just a lot of football-related movements that you're not allowed to do. So it's really tough to evaluate. There's still a purpose to them, still a very important time of year, especially for this young team that's in rebuilding mode. These extra snaps are going to be crucial for the young players as they're trying to get the playbooks down and work on technique. It's just tough to look at the team drills and really get too much out of it in these particular practices. So with that being said, rather than dive into storylines, it's been a while since we've done a stock watch here on Locked on Seahawks, and several of you have asked when we were going to do this again. Normally, Nick Lee and I do this together. Nick's not able to participate in the episodes this week, so I'm going to be doing it solo. And without further ado, let's look at which players are trending up coming out of the draft and free agency going into this final phase of the offseason program and which players are trending down. I'm going to start with the players that are trending up for the Seahawks. I got to start with a player who's been talked about a lot in recent episodes. I broke down Geno Smith versus Drew Locke yesterday. You could make the argument that both of those guys were big winners coming out of this process because the Seahawks did not draft a quarterback. If they would have picked somebody like Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter or maybe somebody like Sam Howell who was still available going into the fifth round, then I don't know that I necessarily would put that player on here. If Baker Mayfield was a Seahawk, I don't know that I would put Drew Locke or Geno Smith on here. But right now, those two, for better or worse, those are the Seahawks' 
two top quarterbacks that they've got going into OTAs. Both of them have a prime opportunity to have another chance to start in the National Football League. And I think this is really the biggest win for Drew Locke because there was a lot of skepticism going into the draft about what Pete Carroll and John Schneider had been saying in regard to Locke and his physical tools, the hose for a throwing arm he has. I think a lot of people didn't feel like those comments were necessarily genuine, and yet the actions now since then, you know, they speak louder than the words. They clearly do have some confidence in this kid. So I think that it was very telling. I I think he is the biggest winner for the Seahawks coming out of this offseason because they didn't make any other significant additions at the quarterback position. Now, I might revisit this in four weeks and say, well, he was a winner until Baker Mayfield came to town. But again, we don't know if that's actually going to happen or not. There's a lot of dominoes that would need to fall into place, I think, for Baker Mayfield to be the Seahawks quarterback. So Drew Locke, to me, is the big winner amongst these uh, three players here. Someone else that I think is going to be a big winner for the Seahawks going into OTAs at the center position, Austin Blythe. And Blythe is a player that I linked to the Seahawks going into free agency a year ago. And he ended up going to the Kansas City Chiefs. And Blythe actually told reporters in his introductory press conference that he never actually had interest from the Seahawks two years ago. And that really surprised me because you're bringing in Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson on your coaching staff. They've worked with Austin Blythe who is a pretty athletic center. He's got an extensive wrestling background. He is built for a zone-blocking scheme. So I thought he was going to be a player that the Seahawks were targeting in free agency in 2020, and yet that did not happen. Um, they didn't just didn't make any overtures his way. So with that being said, they decided to go after him this year. They moved on from Ethan, Ethan Posick, who's now with the Cleveland Browns, So you're bringing in a player that has had kind of inconsistent results in pass protection. But, I mean, he started 16 games three years in a row at guard and center for the Rams on playoff teams. So this is a guy that has played a lot of snaps in the same offense that he's going to be playing in for Shane Waldron. He's got his coach Andy Dickerson back working with him. So this is a big win for him because Creed Humphrey wasn't drafted this time around. Last year, he goes to Kansas City, and then Creed Humphrey gets drafted. Humphrey becomes one of the best centers immediately in the NFL. And he gets hurt. Blythe doesn't play very many snaps. Now he gets a chance to be the guy again in a system that really fits him with coaches that he knows. He's not going to be threatened by Kyle Fuller or Dakota Shepley for that starting job. So Blythe is a big winner to me when you look at the Seahawks going into OTAs. And my last big winner on the offensive side or on the defensive side of the football, flipping the script here, another player who I thought maybe would be in a little bit of trouble depending what Seattle did in the draft. Cody Barton, to me, is the biggest winner on the defensive side of the football. And the big reason for that, big reason why I think that he's the big winner is because they didn't draft anybody from a loaded linebacker class. This was a group that Rob and I talked about a bunch over the last couple of months that this was a group that had probably 10, 11 guys that could be picked in the first three rounds. And you had, obviously, Devin Lloyd from Utah that got picked in the first round. There were a number of guys like Troy Anderson, Channing Tindall. Jacoby Dean ended up falling to the third round. Still a very good player. There's some medical questions there. I think when you consider that, you look at the linebackers that were available, Seattle could have easily said, we can find Bobby Wagner's replacement, but – They showed their confidence, just like they did in Drew Locke. 
They showed their confidence in Cody Barton and what he did those last two games, replacing Bobby Wagner last season. They were very confident in him stepping into the lineup and being able to be a full-time starter. He has been biding his time for three years, so he is clearly a big winner to me. He's going to be starting next to Jordan Brooks unless there's an injury. He is going to be the guy playing that Mike linebacker spot. There's going to be some big pressure on him because of the shoes that he's filling, but because he's been in the league now a few years, he knows what to expect. He's an athletic linebacker that I think is going to actually be better in coverage at this point than what Bobby Wagner was for the Seahawks. I don't know that he can be the run defender that Wagner's been over the years, and asking him to be that would be a bit much because Cody Barton is not Bobby Wagner. But I think that he is ready to step in, and we'll see how he handles that. But he's one of the big winners just because they didn't add anybody else to that group that's going to really truly be able to push him on day one to be a starter next to Jordan Brooks. So all those guys, Drew Locke's going to have the competition with Geno Smith, but all three of those players are well-positioned to be starters for this football team in week one, once we get to September. Now, flipping the script here, looking at our trending down, I'm going to stay on the offensive line. And I hate this because Stone Forsythe is a player that I still believe could potentially be a starter in the NFL. And maybe the Seahawks will throw him into the mix at right tackle too. Maybe he'll go up against Jay Curhan and Abraham Lucas. But a player they drafted two years ago that they were excited about. There was some talk. Maybe he's your left tackle in the future. Well, then you get a chance to get Charles Cross. Now Stone Forsyth, to me, the ceiling is as a swing tackle. Maybe he can play a George Fant type role and come in as a sixth offensive lineman. But his chances of starting for this football team now are very slim. And, you know, that's just what happens when you pick two tackles in the first three rounds. This team is going to eventually have Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas playing both tackle positions. Whether Jake Curhan is the better player right now or not, eventually that is going to be Abraham Lucas. Those two guys will be starting for you. So it's kind of unfortunate because, again, I think Forsyth came in the league as sixth-round pick as a guy that has a lot of upside, a lot of untapped potential coming into the league. And I thought he played well in limited snaps when he got to play in San Francisco last year. So there was some excitement about this kid. Now, I just don't know where the possibility of him playing, especially at 6'8", he's not going to be sliding in to play guard, and he's not going to be playing center. So he's been put in a tough spot where now he's probably going to be playing out the rest of his rookie deal as a swing tackle, probably not going to be getting opportunities to start unless there's injuries in front of him. It's unfortunate because last year he had Dwayne Brown in front of him, and that's what happens when you're a late-round guy, though. Teams bring in players that are high-round picks, considered more blue-chip players, and you end up in a position like this. So it's unfortunate for Stone Forsyth. Next on my list, as far as trending down, I'm going to go to the secondary with a player that signed in free agency, reuniting with Sean Desai, who was the Bears defensive coordinator last year. Artie Burns played in the last six games last year and played really well for Sean Desai. And I thought that he had a chance to be a potential starter, and he might still. Maybe that opening is still there if he really carries over the way he played last season for the Chicago Bears, and he does that in Seattle secondary, then he's got a chance to be one of those two starters. But the Seahawks invested two draft picks in Cody or Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen. They've got Sidney Jones coming back. Trey Brown, from what I've been told, the Seahawks have some optimism about him being ready for the start of the season. So you've got all those different names that are going to be vying for playing time. And I don't see, even if Woolen is not ready to play right now, I can't see the Seahawks 
risking cutting him with the athletic gifts that he has, even if he's really raw and not ready to play on Sundays. You cut a player that's six foot four that runs in the four twos that can jump out of a building, those kind of traits, that player's not slipping through waivers. There's no way. And certainly Kobe Bryant being a fourth rounder that's coming in with the pedigree he has, I would not think that he's a cut candidate either. So I think that Artie Burns is a guy that's clearly on the fence right now, and they signed him to a close-to-veteran minimum deal. So it's not like they would be out a bunch of money if he doesn't make this football team. But I think with the names in front of him, unless he has a really get, a really great training camp, it's going to be really hard for him to get into that lineup, and he doesn't have the slot versatility. He's played on the outside, only a handful of snaps in the slot. You've already got Justin Coleman, Marquise Blair, Ugo Amadi in there. So it's a log jam, and I think it's going to be tough for Artie Burns to make this football team. It's going to help him that he knows Sean Desai and some of the coverages they're going to be doing with Desai as an associate head coach. He's going to have that advantage, but you still got to look at the group they've got here, and it's going to be an interesting training camp at that position. There's going to be somebody released that maybe is a little surprising. I can see Artie Burns maybe being that guy. And last but not least, a player that I already mentioned going to the offensive side of the football, and I hate putting him on this list, trending down, because it's not his fault. It's an injury. And as I've mentioned several times, I am hopeful that Chris Carson gets to play this year. But he has to be on this list without even having his injury accounted for because the Seahawks did re-sign Rashad Penny for in what today is pretty good money for a running back, almost $6 million dollars. And then they used a premium draft pick on the reigning Doak Walker Award winner, the best running back in college football in Ken Walker the third. It's going to be very difficult for Chris Carson, even if he comes back and is able to play. It's going to be difficult for him to etch out a significant role in this backfield because you know the clock is ticking when you draft a running back. You want to get him involved in some position where guys make an immediate impact. And Rashad Penny, the way he played the last six games, I think he's your starter ending the season as long as he is healthy. So even if Chris Carson comes back, you know the Seahawks might still make a move to release him at that point because he's got a fairly significant cap hit. And if that's your number three running back, I just don't know how you can justify holding on to him there. I just think they've got a very difficult decision looming for them one way or another. And again, this is a guy that has given the Seahawks so much as a former seventh round pick, a fantastic career for a seventh rounder. But he's trending down on my list because of the depth chart they've got at running back now. And obviously his health, there's a lot of different factors there. It's unfortunate. Pulling for him, he's had a very good career for a late round pick. But this is just not looking like a good situation for Chris Carson going into the 2022 season as always thanks for making locked on seahawks your first listen five days a week make sure to check out the locked on nfl podcast for your second listen the schedule may be dark but the nfl never stops and neither does locked on nfl get insights and opinions from hosts including ross jackson chris carter and tony wiggins plus local locked on nfl hosts repping all 32 squads there's no off season for real fans so make sure you're subscribed to locked on nfl on youtube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Rob Rang as well. He'll be back on Monday's show at Rob Rang. Locked on Seahawks can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. When Rob and I return on Monday, we'll have some thoughts and observations to share as OTAs kick off at the VMAC. 
for the Seahawks. Plus, we're going to be taking a look at the 2019 draft class and where they're at heading into the final year of their rookie contracts. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.